Well, good morning, church. Nice to see you all. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. It's great to have you here on this uh, Sabbath morning. And uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. So I cannot wait until it's over. We can go outside, go for some walks, do some, get, some, get some fresh air, enjoy some nature, huh? Um, we, are, we have started our new series on the, book of, uh, of, on the life of Moses. And I keep saying the book of Moses, as if there's some kind of book called Moses, but there isn't. Uh, we've started this in the life of Moses, and uh, we're really excited about it today. We're going into our second sermon on the life of Moses, and uh, it's about his calling. It's about these, this amazing encounter that he has with the eternal God, and uh, Larissa will be bringing that to us here in a few moments. Uh, just want to remind you that everything is still going strong here at the Richland Church. We're excited about some of the stuff that we're doing online, some of the stuff that we're doing in person. Uh, we had 15 people last night at the uh, deep dive into Steps to Christ. That was, that was, that was really, really some precious moments. I'm excited about that. And uh, we really thank you for your support. We thank you for all that you guys are doing, even behind the scenes. I cannot wait till we are all back in church singing without masks on. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, yeah, this is a good time to let the people online hear your applause on that, right? Very cool. I'm going to have prayer, and we'll begin with our worship service. Uh, I believe Chloe's going to be singing in a few moments here, and that's always a treat. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are, what you do in our lives. Thank you so very, very much for the gifts that you have been just pouring upon us, even during these crazy times. And I want to pray, Lord, that as we continue in this new year and as we move forward into learning about the life of Moses, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to inspire us and, and, and challenge us and help us uh, to be the kinds of uh, men and women that, that you are looking for to finish the work. Lord, help us to, more than anything else, be inspired to get to know you better more and more. And may that knowledge uh, change our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot I had to hear the music too. What a 
death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silenced the voice of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your Good morning. So good to see you guys. Happy Sabbath. Before we get started, let's go ahead and let's pray today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to say thank you for your Sabbath. Thank you for music and the wonderful way that we get to use it to worship, not only for you, but with you. And God, I ask that my words today be your words and that you speak through me. In your holy name, amen. Our title for today's sermon is Here I Am, and we're going to be going through Exodus 3 and 4. For those of you that were here last week or listened online with us, we started a new series, as Pastor Sergio said, called Moses. And today we're going to be jumping into the chapters, like I said, 3 and 4. But I got to take a moment to go backwards in time. A few months ago when we talked about doing this this series, and when Pastor Sergio talked about how, let's talk about Moses, I got super excited because Exodus has my thing in it. You know, my thing that I do every time. And so if you don't know what that thing is, that's okay because I'm going to explain it today because that's what we're talking about. So we're going to go ahead and get started and our shoes are off. So last week, Pastor Sergio, like I said, talked about Exodus chapters 1 and 2. And just to give you a brief summary of what we talked about, um, his sermon was called Rescue to Deliver, and we were talking about Moses. So chapter 1 and 2 starts off the narrative by talking about how Joseph has died. And several, uh, much time has passed since Joseph has died, and a new king has come into power. A new king that doesn't know 
about Joseph and the things that he's done. He doesn't know about the Israelites and their importance to the Egyptian way of life as they knew it. And so we know that Moses' mother uh, didn't put him in the Nile as all the other babies, male babies at that time. And he survives because he is found by Pharaoh's daughter, who takes him in to be raised as her son. So we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2 where Moses has committed a crime. He has killed an Egyptian. And he, in fear, runs and leaves Egypt behind. And he goes to a place called Midian. In Midian, he finds his wife and he gets married. And that's where chapter 2 ends. Let's go ahead and read together. This is at the end of Exodus chapter 2. This is verses 23 through 25. And it said, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Then we get to chapter 3, and we have a complete scene flip. Chapter 2 ends with God's point of view on Egypt, but then chapter 3 starts with Moses. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, says this. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now here's a comment that I don't want us to miss. If you know anything about sheep or flocks or anything like that, you understand the importance that it had to play in the time of the Bible and even today in some cultures. To give you an idea of how important sheep or goats were to the lifestyle of then, we know that sheep and goats were used for clothing, such as their wool. We know that their skins were used for leather and coats. Um, they, they were eaten, their meat was used, although very rarely, usually for special ceremonies um, and such. Very, we know that we're, they were used for sacrificial purposes, and that the milk that they produced was used for food like cheese or often buttermilk. And last but not least, but a sheep's horn, a ram's horn, was used for a lot of different things. If you know what a shofar is, for example, that's the trumpet that the Israelites would use. Um, a lot of times it would also be hollowed out and they would use it to carry liquids. It was a container for liquids. So sheep and goats were a huge part of the lifestyle of people in the biblical times. And especially, as we find, for people in Midian, which is where Moses is. However, interestingly enough, when you look into who normally were the people that tended the sheep, it wasn't the oldest, and it wasn't the middle child. Normally, the person who was the shepherd was the youngest. And we see this when we think about uh, different stories, such as uh, David. He was the youngest. All his other brothers were off doing different things, but they said, Where, like, do you have any more sons? He's like, uh, we have the youngest, the shepherd. So the youngest was usually the one that was required or asked to take care of the sheep. And so I find it interesting in this moment that it is Moses who's the shepherd here. We know Moses is not a young person at this age um, because we know that it's been about 40 years since he ran away from Egypt. So Moses is still tending the sheep after all these years. When I think about working for your father-in-law, a story that comes up in my mind that it reminds me of is when we have uh, the story of Jacob. Jacob, who worked for his father-in-law for 14 years, at the end of this time, he asked his father-in-law for all the wages of the work in which he has done. And the scripture tells us that he returns home a wealthy man. So he asks for all 14-year wages, and he gets it, and he returns home a wealthy man. So the fact that Moses doesn't even have his own sheep to tend, that these are his father-in-law's sheep, tells us one of two things. 
It tells us that it could display a moment of humbleness to kind of get an idea of Moses' character, or it could also possibly show a lack of desire for wealth. Hebrews gives us a little bit more insight into this. Turn with me to the faith chapter. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, where it specifically talks about Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. And it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months and he, after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter, as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, excuse me. He just to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So Moses identifies so much with his people, the Israelite people, that he's willing to give up the life that he was so generously blessed with, that life in the palace, the riches, the glory, the power that came with it. Moses gave all of that up. However, I do want to take a moment to say that uh, when Moses finds himself at Midian, like we said earlier, it's because we find that he's done something. He's killed someone. And I want to make it very clear that I don't think what he did was right in any way, shape, or form. But I do think that I think that there was something that happened in those 40 years that Moses was in Midian. I don't about, know about you, but I tend to be an overthinker. I will come away from an event or a conversation with someone, and I will think back and replay every single thing that happened, every single thing that I said, was that okay? Especially if the conversation or the event went badly. And I go over it in my mind thinking, what happened along the way that brought me from point A to point B? And I can't help but liken that to what Moses might have been feeling. Over those 40 years that he's in Midian, I suspect that he overthought his actions, where he wonders, how did I get from point A to that moment? How did I end up there? Our scripture tells us that his father-in-law was a priest. And so I think over the time that this might have had quite an influence on who Moses was and who he became in that time since he left Egypt. I can imagine, like I said, that Moses thought a lot about that moment. And as Moses is out watching the sheep, he sees something interesting. And this is my favorite part. So let's continue on. This is Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 2 and 3. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight and why the bush does not burn up. Quick thing to note in here, it says the angel of the Lord. Um, the word for this is actually interchangeable with God. Um, it does not mean like a messenger, an angel, or anything like that. But this is actually talking about God. So God is in this bush. And so Moses is intrigued, and he goes over to look. There's this fire, but nothing's burning. There's these flames, yet it's not going anywhere. And so this curiosity prompts Moses to take a step closer, to figure out what is going on with that. And I can't help but laugh at this point because that's exactly what I would do. I'd be like, what is that? And I want to see what that is. There's this random fire, and it's not burning up, and that doesn't make sense. I need to figure out why. Philosopher and psychologist William James called curiosity the impulse towards better cognition, meaning that it's a desire to understand what you know that you do not know. 
but catch this. So curiosity is that desire to understand something that you know you don't know anything about it. And so curiosity is that desire to find out what it is. I need to understand. Curiosity is the reasons why people touch stoves, even though they're told that it's hot. Curiosity is the reason that you approach an animal when you probably should leave it alone. Curiosity is that reason that we accidentally start a fire that maybe burn the house down. Curiosity is eating those bean-boozled jelly beans, even though we know they're going to be gross. It's curiosity. We can't help it. We want to know what we don't know. We want that. And we see this with Moses. His curiosity gets the better of him. He can't walk away from this moment. And he says, I have to know what's going on. A few days ago, I was talking to a couple of friends, and we were discussing a subject, and we're like, what would, we were trying to figure out something. And one of my friends goes, it's fine, I got it. And he pulls out his phone, and he Googles it, and we found the answer. Google and search engines have captivated this idea of curiosity. You have a question? Well, we've got a search engine to help you find the answer. That's why Google tends to be one of the most used websites that there is online. That's crazy to me. Our search engine, because we want to fill that moment of curiosity. I need to know the answer. And so Moses goes and takes a look and continue with me in verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. If you're into uh, watching movies or reading stories, you know that when the name of the, like, the title drops, that's when you should pay attention. You're like, oh, this is the moment. This is the title. This is that moment. Here I am, Moses says. The double name that the Lord says, Moses, Moses, is just showing a moment of urgency. It's like, come, come. Like, I've got something. And that curiosity, when that moment when he speaks to him, I'm sorry, but if it were me, and all of a sudden I'm going over to check out this burning bush that I can't figure out why it's burning, but it's not, but it is, and something spoke to me out of it, my first reaction would not be, here I am. I probably would have screamed, I don't know about you, but if you think you're the only one in a room and all of a sudden something speaks, that would have not been my first reaction. I probably thought it would have been maybe a practical joke. Like, okay, guys, where are you at? You're so funny. The first words out of my mouth, honestly, would not have been, here I am. I would have been like, oh, what is that? And so it, it makes me laugh as I think about Moses, and his first words are, here I am. And this is a transitional moment, a moment that I think Moses would look back on and say, that was the moment. The moment when you can look back and think that is never going to be the same. Five years ago this month, um, I had the opportunity to go and be a youth pastor in Northern Ireland. Um, and it was one of the hardest and best years of my life, and it was the start of my ministry. Um, and so to back you up a little bit on how I got there, I think this beginning of stories is really important to understand. And so um, I ended up graduating college early to the point where I wanted to do something for God in my time that I knew that everyone else my age was still in school. And so I thought a lot about it, and I tried to figure out what am I going to do. And I decided that I wanted to go and be a missionary for a year. This is the best time to do it. I graduated uh, with a degree in speech communication, so I knew that I could take time off and I could go anywhere when I came back. And so I was trying to figure out, like, how does one go about being a missionary? Like, how does that even work? And my mom at that time was volunteering um, at the conference office at Upper Columbia, and she was, as parents do, discussing this, discussing my life <laughs> as parents do. Love you, parents, but sometimes... And so she was talking about this idea about how I wanted to be a missionary, but I wasn't sure how to go about it. And there was a lady at the conference who was like, well, has she, 
has she looked at Adventist volunteers? Which now, if I'm, if I'm correct, I believe it's he said go um, is now what it is. But Adventist volunteers, and I hadn't. And so I went online and I looked it up and I applied to several different positions. And the first position that I applied for, someone else got it. Um, but the second one was this one to Northern Ireland. And so I did my interview with them, and I waited to hear back. And it wasn't long before they called me back and said, we would like to invite you to be our youth pastor in Northern Ireland. And I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, what have I done? Okay, I love traveling, so it wasn't the traveling concept. It was all of a sudden realizing that I was going to be living in a space and place where I knew not a single soul. No one. No one. And so we went to Northern Ireland. And uh, I remember landing in Northern Ireland, and my lead pastor there uh, <laughs> was 30 minutes late. I don't know if you've ever gone somewhere where you don't know anyone or the culture or anything, and the person picking you up is late, not by five minutes, not by 10 minutes. And at this part, like, point, I'm starting to panic. 30 minutes I sat there going am I in the right airport did I fly to the right place like do I just not recognize him turns out he thought that I had to go through customs in Northern Ireland but I had gone through customs in England before I landed and so he was giving me time to come out but it was one of the most like I want to say traumatizing but not traumatizing moments of my life where I really second-guessed did I do the right thing when he finally arrived, I recognized him like that, and I ended up hugging him. Come to find out later, he doesn't like hugs. Sorry, Pastor Adam, you're gonna, I'm a hugger. You're going to have to deal with it. Um, and so I started my ministry in Northern Ireland. And within a first, I would say about month four, I had this strong feeling and this strong moment that I really felt like God was calling me to pastoral ministry. And I was like, joke's on you, God, because no one I know back home besides one woman is a pastor. Yes, I can be a pastor here in the UK, and it's okay, but that's not realistic back home. And I should have known then, but I didn't, that God's like, nothing's too impossible for me. Watch me work. And so it has been five years since I was in Northern Ireland, five years since I really felt like God had placed on my heart, you need to be a pastor. And I remember this really raw moment inside my house where I was like, God, you got to open doors because I don't know how to do that. That's not the direction I was going. So you got to open doors if that's going to happen. My name is Pastor Larissa, <laughs> and God opened that door. And I'm excited to be here to be, that you guys get to be a part of my story, but I get to be a part of yours. It took me time before I was ready. It took me time to feel like and grow into who I am now. And honestly, most days, I still don't feel ready. When Moses said, here I am, he hit a transitional moment. There's a moment that took time because if maybe God had showed up to him like 10 years before, I don't know if Moses would have been ready. But 40 years after he leaves Egypt, God shows up and says, Moses, Moses says, here I am. William Bridges is an Australian general, um, was an Australian general in World War I, and he says this, he says, change is situational. Transition, on the other hand, is psychological. It's not those events, but rather the inner reorientation of or self-redefinition that you have to go through in order to incorporate any of those changes in your life. Without transition, change is just a rearrangement of the furniture. Unless transition happens, the change won't work because it doesn't take. Moses 
has been changing for the last 40 years. But God is ready to take him through transition. And he's about to experience this. And he says the words, here I am. When I read this, it triggered something in my memory. And I tried to think about who also said, here I am. And it made me realize that Samuel had also said this. When he thought Eli was calling him, he said, I'm here, I'm here, here I am. And then it reminded me that Abraham also said this when God called to him right before he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. This doesn't seem like coincidence to me, so I love looking into the original language of the Bible, and I looked into this phrase, here I am. And it turns out there's a lot more to this phrase. And so this word, here I am, is actually one Hebrew word. We're going to pop it up there. So it's hineni, hineni, which means here I. It's more than when you were in school or are in school and the teacher would say your name and you'd be like, present. No, it's, it's not just here I. Hineni means something very, very different than that. Hineni means a physical, emotional, and psychological acceptance of being present. Like, I am fully present. You have all my attention. I am here. It's not just a my body's here present like you do in school. You're saying, I am fully here. You have all my attention. Everything. I am here fully. It's a declaration of being present, totally present in one's calling. So when Moses responds in this fashion, he gives God the permission to do something amazing. A transitional moment. An answer to the call of Jesus. An answer, a holy calling which requires a holy answer. And I have to stop and think, when was the last time that God called my name and I answered with Hineni? When was that? When did I do that? Yes, Belfast was one. And I, and I try to, like, yes, coming here was another, but I feel like God says it more often than that. These transitional moments when he asks us and calls us from a space that we've been in and says, no, I've got something different for you. I need you to transition because you've been changing and it's for the better. Hineni, what has God been calling you to? Would you be like me and probably scream or think it was a practical joke when he called your name? Hineni, here I am. Would you have answered with that? I'm present, I'm willing, I'm here fully. Notice that Moses has no idea what's about to happen yet. It's not as if God is like, okay, here's the plan, and Moses is like, okay, Hineni. I'm in. I'm fully in. God calls his name. That's all he says. He says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, I'm in. I'm here. You've got me. I'm here fully. Exodus 3, verses 5 and 6. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Shoes off. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. If you're wondering about why my shoes came off earlier, this is the part. This is why the shoes came off. To give you a bit of historical background about the role of sandals or shoes that have been played in history, um, sandals being taken off were usually a sign that you were entering a holy space. We see this again when God calls to Joshua in Joshua 5.15 that Joshua was told to do the same, that the place where he was standing is holy ground. Um, we often see also that priests 
would enter barefoot into temples in order to maintain the purity and express humility and respect. In fact, today, um, in a lot of Muslim countries, Muslims still do this where they'll take off their shoes before they enter a mosque to worship. Uh, my co-teacher of my last job uh, got to experience this in Turkey. And he said it was crazy, like all these shoes you would see. But everyone knew where theirs were. In the Clark commentary on this, it says that the sole of the shoe gathered dust, gravel, and sand around the foot when traveling, making it very dirty, hence the custom of frequently washing your feet in these countries where sandals were worn. Pulling off the shoes was, therefore, an emblem of laying aside the pollutions that were contracted by the walking in the way of sin. So people took off their shoes in order to keep a place holy. Because when you were walking, the dirt that would come and be attracted by them. And God says, take off your shoes because it's holy ground here. It's where I am. You've walked in the ways of sin, and I want you to take off your shoes. And when I think about this scene, I think in pictures and like imagine it like a movie, I imagine Moses being like, okay, we're coming off, we're taking them off, we're good, and taking them off rather quickly. In essence, God is asking Moses not only to acknowledge his holiness, but acknowledge his sin as well. And this is a powerful moment because up until this, there could have been a redemption moment between God and Moses. We don't know. But I see this very clearly as being a redemption moment between God and Moses. God saying, take off your shoes because where they have been, you have sinned. And Moses takes off his shoes because where he is, is holy with God. When we come into the presence of God, no matter where we are, the space and place is made holy with him. I love the fact that Jesus says that where we are, he will be also. Because it tells us that we have direct access to this. Direct access to God. God's holiness prevails so abundantly that even in the areas he's in, becomes holy. I have a question for you. Do you have a space that you can go or a space in your life that you can meet God that is holy? And I'm not talking about just any space. I'm talking about like a space, a specific space. Maybe it's while you're driving to work. Maybe it's that space inside your car. Maybe it's in your morning jog as you're running. For those of you runners, I commend you. I am not a runner. But maybe that's your space. Maybe it's when you're making your morning tea or coffee before maybe your household is up. Where's the space where you say, Hineni, God, I am fully present. I am here, and it's you, and it's me. Hineni. Where and when in your day do you meet God? Continue reading with me in verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your, fa of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God finally introduces himself, and Moses' first reaction is to hide. Guilty conscience, anyone? Later in our series, uh, Moses will actually ask God to reveal his glory to him. Spoiler alert. Um, and God does for Moses. This is a very different space than what we see Moses in right now. Because what Moses is going to, we're going to find throughout the series is that Moses transitions not just once, but multiple times. Hineni, I'm here fully. God starts talking about the pain he's heard from the Israelites in Egypt and how he's going to rescue them. 
And after he says this in verse 10, he says, So now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I love this. God's like, okay, I explained it all, now do it. And Moses is like, what? (laughs) His answer isn't yes. It's not like, all right, let's go, I'm ready. Moses' first reaction is not met with enthusiasm. It's not met with anticipation. It's met with a question. It's met with low confidence. It's met with an opportunity for transition. It's also met with resistance. In verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? But God answers a different question, and he says, I will be with you. Over the course of uh, chapter 3 and 4, we see that Moses has not one objection, not two objections, not three or four, but five objections to why he should not be the person sent to rescue the Egyptians. And here they are. He says, who am I that I should go? And God answers, I'll be with you. He says, who are you that they should believe me? And God reveals his name. He asks, what if they don't believe me? And God answers with three divine signs on how they would know that he is sent by God. I'm not eloquent. I can't talk to people. God says, that's fine. I'll teach you. Last but not least, he says, send someone else. Just send someone else. And God said, I've already sent Aaron to you. You're doing it. Have you ever had a conversation with, like, your spouse, your parents, a teacher maybe? Like, question, answer. I know that question, answer. Like, I have excuses, but they keep coming up with answers. I don't know about you, but I would have, like, a lot of good excuses in this moment. And I have a lot of questions today. I have questions about the world. I have questions about political uprisings we see. I have questions about the virus, let's be honest. And I want answers. But I keep finding that God is answering a different question for me. He's, when I ask him, who am I? He's asking or answering, I will be with you. God is answering to us a different question than what we are asking, and I don't think that it's a bad thing. And although I find myself not being satisfied completely with the answers given by the world, I find myself wishing for a moment like this with God, a Hineni moment, a moment to question God and his thinking, a moment to satisfy that curiosity that we talked about earlier. It's moments like these that I'm thankful that the Bible describes that there's going to be a thousand years after his return for literally just questions. Like, how awesome of a God do we have that he knows us so well? He's like, I'm giving you time to just ask me. And we're going to sit and just talk. I'm going to give you time to wonder why. Often I'll have a question about something and I won't know uh, the answer to it. I know I won't be able to find out the answer. And I'll tell my guardian angel, I need you to remember this one for me. I need you to remember this because I'm not going to remember all these questions I have, but write it down. Put it in our book. We're going to ask God about this later. I need answers. So Moses objects, who are you that they're going to believe me? And God reveals his name. And the Hebrew word that is used for this is ayasher ayah. Or to put it very simply, ayah is what he says. And this is, I am who I am. 
And I love this. I am who I am. Um, the first letter of the alphabet, in the Hebrew alphabet, is indicative that God is saying something very specific here. He's saying this in future tense. Therefore, this name can be translated that I will be who I will be. The God that is with us. So I am is the same thing as I will be. When I was looking up this word, I found an, um, a Hebrew article that talked more in depth of this, um, people who have experience in this language. And it said that God is asking, or God, excuse me, God is saying that I will be whatever I choose to be in this circumstance. Healer, deliverer, provider, protector. I will be that for you. In essence, this name conveys a sense of both the timeless and timelessness of God. The God who was, who is, and is to come. Revelation 4.8. Do you see? God is saying something way back in Exodus. This is my name that stands for now, in the future, and in the future future. The past, the present, and the future. Moses asks the third, objects the third time, what if they don't believe me? And God gives him three divine signs. The first one, we're going to go over these quickly. Uh, he says, take your rod, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. I imagine Moses screaming in this moment because that's what I would do. I'd be like, whoa, not what I expected. But here we are. This is a sign of authority. The shepherd's rod was usually a sign um, of the main shepherd, of authority the sheep would know that this person is the shepherd. And the serpent was usually associated with Pharaoh and his power. So we see something of the shepherd flipping over to Pharaoh. Sign number two, he says, take your hand. I want you to stick it in your cloak and pull it out. And when he pulls it out, his hand is white with a skin disease. And the Bible uses the word leprosy, but that specific word we know can mean a bunch of different skin diseases. It's not specifically leprosy. It was just a, use, a word used to describe multiple skin diseases. In this case, the immediacy of the miracle would amaze the audience since normally it was thought that skin diseases happened over a period of time. So that the fact that it happened right away would qu make them question what they knew about the skin diseases and also, it was usually considered a long-term disease. Puts the hand back, and it's back to normal. Divine sign number three, water to blood. He says, take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the banks, and it will turn to blood. The Nile in that time uh, was considered to be a life source with its water, and it was also considered to be a d divine source for all life. The Nile usually was represented by Pharaoh, linking him as the God who governed over Egypt, the God of all. Fourth objection, just a reminder, he says, I'm not eloquent. God says, that's fine, I'll teach you. Fifth one comes, send someone else. And God has already sent Aaron. God had considered every single detail when it had come to Moses and the different objections that he might come. So, I know you're not eloquent. I'll teach you. I'll be with you. I'm sending your brother. In essence, he's saying, I've got this all planned out. I just need you to get involved. And we see this again and again and again over history. God is asking us to get involved with his plan. Is it the way we want? Probably not. But he has a plan. He's planned out every single detail. And he's asking us to join hands with him. To say, he named me. Here I am. Send me. I love that God requires our willingness to step into this plan together. That he doesn't force us to do it, but he asks it of us. That he requires us, mankind, to work with him. And I think this is a beautiful picture of our Savior. 
God doesn't want to be the superhero and get all the credit. He wants to be side by side with us, co-partners in the plan of salvation. And he's asking us, are you here with me? Are you here fully? He may me. Send me. So after finding, trying to find a way out, Moses finally accepts his calling. When Pastor Sergio called me last year, pre-COVID, and asked me to come, I had no idea what I was getting into. But I said, I'm in. Okay, let's go. I don't think I would have changed my answer if I had known what had in 2020, honestly. And I'm glad I didn't know because then I didn't have the option. And so Moses accepts his calling in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. It says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. Important to know. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. At this point, it's easy to skip ahead and go through several details until Moses gets to Egypt and we start seeing that conflict. But there's one thing that I do want to pull out and a moment I don't want us to miss. It starts in Exodus 4, verses 27 through 28. And it says this, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So we met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything that the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. It's been 40 plus years since Moses and Aaron have even been in the same place, let alone even seen each other. 40 plus years. I have never gone to this day more than seven and a half months without seeing my family, without seeing my sister or my parents. And so I can't imagine not seeing them for 40 years. That's crazy to me. However, in today's, in today's day and age, we find that family estrangement is actually more common than you might think. One U.S. study found recently that more than 40% of their participants had experienced family estrangement at some point, suggesting that in certain groups, such as college students, that this is more common than divorce, family estrangement, that this is more common than divorce. I wonder about Aaron's Hineni moment. What was that like when God said, I want you to go see your brother? I want you to not just go see your brother. I want you to meet your brother and you're going to work side by side with him. I know you haven't seen him in 40 years, but you're going to go and work with him. I wonder what it was like for Moses to see Aaron and Aaron to see Moses. I wonder about the tears that were shed. I know I'd be crying. And I wonder what it, what, it, what if, if that's what it's going to be like for a moment when Jesus comes back. I wonder if there's going to be tears shed for the people that we have lost to sleep, that we're going to see them. And it has been years. And we're going to cry. We're going to be so excited because we get to work with them. We get to work together with them. People who we have been estranged from, that we get that moment to come together. Of all the people God could have sent, he sent Moses' brother. Of everyone. He's like, no, this is the perfect person I want to work with you. I love that our God loves family. I love that. I love that he wants us to reconnect with one another. And it makes my heart so broken and sad when I see that this time that we're in is breaking apart friends and it's breaking apart families. 
it hurts my heart to know that something that we don't understand, that we are asking questions about, that God is answering maybe in a different way than we expected, is tearing my friend and my brother and my sister away from me. And if you're anything like me or had this happen to you during this COVID time, this has happened, this cancel culture, this all of a sudden we have one moment and we're no longer talking. I love that God asks us to reconcile with our family. That it can be so long, and yet God is saying, no, I want you guys to come back together. It's been time. It's time. And maybe we need time. God works for our good and nothing else. So Moses and Aaron, with Moses' family, sent to Egypt towards one of the biggest transitions in the period of the Israelite history. And it took so many things to get there. Moses' curiosity we talked about today. We talked about Moses' Hineni moment. I am here. It took Moses' excuses and God's rebuttal. It took Moses' reacquaintance with his brother. For the events to take place that are going to take place in the upcoming chapters. Lynn Cowell says, sometimes God brings times of transition to create transformation. We will see the transformation of Moses as we continue in this series. We will continue in our installments of the Moses series, not the book of Moses, (laughs) book of Exodus about Moses. And I'm excited with Pastor Sergio and Pastor Fred to share with you these different things that Moses goes through, because I find that even though it's put in a time period way long ago, that I can take that and apply it to my life directly today. And I'm excited to go through that process with you guys. It took a lot of steps and a lot of years for Moses to be ready. It took a lot of time from five years ago when I was in Northern Ireland for God to open up a door and a space that I can be with you guys here today. But he does it. And just like five years ago when I told God, you got to open a door, you got to make a way, God's like, don't worry, I got it. I've got this. God is making a way for things in your life that you don't even know yet. And I'm excited for this journey for you. And I want to encourage you that when God calls your name, that you give him the answer of Himeni. I am here. I am fully present with you, God. It's you and me. Here I am. Send me. Our closing song today is one that I hold really near and dear to my heart. Um, for the, I heard it for the first time when I was in college, actually. And my roommate had taken the lyrics and had put it on the cork board next to our door. And I remember seeing it one day and being like, what is this? Like, and she played the song for me. And I invite you guys to really to listen to the words. Um, the verses are a call from God, and the chorus is our answer. I ask that you hear it, listen to it, but more importantly, let's worship to God together. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry, all who dwell in stars, my hand will save. I, who make the stars of night, I will make the darkness bright. Who will bear my light to them? Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. It is. 
where you want us to go. And may we always hold your people in our hearts. In your holy name, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Go in peace. For those listening online, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week.